to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are. you want to be remembered when all is said and done. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Join us now as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. one of Cheryl's message, Rehoboam and Abijah, a prepared heart. So I was thinking this week about epitaphs. Good, Cheryl. Yeah. So an epitaph is a summation or an evaluation of a person's life. I'm one of those strange people that like to read the obit section of the newspaper, not because I have a death wish, but it's a short biography of people's lives. One of my favorite reads is biographies, especially missionary biographies. I just love them. But obits are like these shortened versions of a person's life. And they, they tell you, some of these things, you know, the epitaph on a gravestone. I like to go to um, cemeteries and just kind of look at the gravestones. And that's all you know about these these people, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, they lived 85 years, and all you know is she cooked a good meal. <laughs> you know, mother, uh, beloved sister, you know, you're looking at these things, and you're thinking, this is the summation. This is what others want you to know about this person. Or perhaps it's uh, some write their own before they even die. This is what I want people to know about me. Certain epitaphs marking gravestones, I I looked up some. Betty Davis, she did it the hard way. Richard Hind, I don't know these people. I I didn't know Betty on a first name basis, but I knew of her. Richard Hind, here lies the body of Richard Hind, who was neither ingenious, sober, nor kind. (laughs) George Johnson, Here lies George Johnson, hanged by mistake in 1882. He was right, we was wrong, but we strung him up and now he's gone. (laughs) Jeremiah Johnson, I told you I was sick. (laughs) This one I like. Quick draw McGraw. He had the second fastest draw. Only bedded by slow draw sloth. And then finally, Harry Edsel Smith. This is a little tragic. He looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on its way. It was. (laughs) In actuality, it is a very sobering thing to consider how your life will be remembered or if it will be remembered at all. Though these epitaphs give the summation of people's lives. They do not explain why or how their lives were summarized this way. Rehoboam and Ahijah's 
epitaphs are tragic. Though both men reigned as kings over the kingdom of Judah, the summation of their reigns is not positive. When you look at the overall picture of everything and it's weighed in the balances, it's tragic. The end is a negative and not a positive. In 2 Chronicles 12, 13 through 14, it says this about Rehoboam. So King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah, an Ammonitess, and he did evil. There's the summation. He did evil. Then there's Abijah, Rehoboam's son. In 1 Kings 15, verses 2 through 3, we're told he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maaka. I don't know what it is with these double A's on the mothers, but nevertheless. The grandmother of Absalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. So we get evil and disloyal. Although Rehoboam did many good things, he heeded the word of the prophet Shemaiah and did not go to war against Jeroboam or the rest of Israel because he was told not to by the Lord. Though he continued to support the temple of God in Jerusalem, Though he allowed the Levites, the priests, and godly people to migrate into Judah from Israel and provided sanctuary for them, though he walked in the way of Solomon and David for three years, a godly walk, though he strengthened the kingdom of Judah and fortified the outlying cities, placing captains in them, supplying them with food and oil and wine, and putting shields and spears in each, making them strong. Although he humbled himself after the invasion of the king of Egypt, Shishak, and confessed that the Lord was righteous and that he had sinned and that he was wrong in abandoning God, the end of his story is still tragic. And even though the subjects or the people in Judah fared well. They weren't oppressed by him. And overall, they were able to live somewhat productive lives. The end or his epitaph or the summation of his life is is sad. Rehoboam's reign was marked by division. During his time, the kingdom of Israel was split because he sought the count of elders and of his own peers rather than of God. Isn't it interesting as you read about Rehoboam, you hear about this problem coming to him where Jeroboam, who had been a servant of Solomon, comes to Rehoboam and he says, listen, I used to be in charge of the workforce here in Israel. We built the temple. We built your father's palace. Oh, you know, we've done all this building and it's too hard. It's gotten so difficult. And we need a lightening of our load. And the taxes are too high because we've been paying for all of these places to be built. And now they're built. So it's time to 
Stop levying the people so heavily. It reminds me of the Coronado Bridge. Um, it was paid for. In fact, I've, I read that it w- it's been paid for over 500 times now. You know, by the um, toll that they charge you to cross over the bridge. Where's that money going? I just want to know, where's that? You know what? Where is all the money going? Okay, that's another story. We're not going to go there. But he did not seek the counsel of the Lord. Now, we can see the wisdom of the elders when they told him, if you will speak kindly to this people, if you will listen to them and speak kind words and not harsh words, they will be your servants forever. If you'll, you'll understand their needs and you'll just sit down and, and speak kindly to them. You'll, you'll have the kingdom of, of Israel in your hands, and they'll be loyal. But then there were his peers, those who had grown up with them, those who were entitled, and they said, are you kidding? Don't let the people get by with this. Who's the boss? You show them who's the boss. You tell them, my little finger, it's going to be bigger than my father's waist. He scourged you with whips. I'm using scorpions. That didn't go over well. Nobody likes the thought of scorpions. And so he listened to his peers. It's interesting that that appealed to him more. The idea of of power and threatening and not giving up anything. Years ago, there was a um, Peanuts cartoon that was on television. And our whole family, speaking of the Brodersons, who are now big, but we're little, we all watched it. And in it, it's um, Lucy singing, and she sings the song, Lucy's the Boss. So you better listen to Lucy, listen to Lucy, and do what Lucy says. And it's, you know, pretty tough. And so we were singing it on the way to Bass Lake for a family vacation. And we would just choose somebody randomly in our car to sing about, like, you know, Daddy's the boss, Daddy's the boss, so you better listen to Daddy, listen to Daddy. And we were doing this, and <laughs> Char just started crying. He's all of three years old, and he's like, no, I'm the boss. I'm the boss. And so while we're singing Daddy's the boss, he's like, no, Char is the boss, Char is the boss, because he used to lisp. And, you know, it was comical because here's this three-year-old who's having a meltdown because we will not proclaim him the boss of our car. <laughs> but, you know, there's that desire in men, in women to control and to say, no, I'm not giving up any control. You think it's been bad? It's going to be worse. You know, I found that whenever... You know, whenever you're not leaning into the counsel of God, you become oppressive. You, you, you try to get your will accomplished by bullying or intimidation or being mean. And whenever that's the case, you, you need to say, you know what? No. <laughs> I'm going to let God do this. And then I can be sweet and he can put the pressure on. I prefer that. So what happened is when he came back with this message for the people because he listened to his peers, the people with Jeroboam said, what, what investment do we have in David? Why should we care about David's house or whether God made David king? If it's not in our best interest, then we're out of here. 
we're going to do what's in our best interest. And so Israel was divided with 10 tribes going with Jeroboam, making Jeroboam king, and with two tribes, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, staying with Israel. Remember, the Levites weren't really counted because they were the priests. They were, they were mobile. They were in every place in Israel. And so this is what you happened. Then you find that not only was the kingdom of Israel divided during his reign, but Rehoboam brought idolatry into Judah. We're told that he abandoned the God of his fathers, that he built the high places, shrines in the hills, which was a substitute for going to the temple and worshiping God in the way that God prescribed. This was something that people did because they wanted to worship God in their own way. He also allowed for sacred pillars, which was worship to other gods, wooden images, and perverted persons in the land, cult prostitution, which was a practice of the heathen, pagan nations, the Canaanites, before Israel came into the land. We're told that during his reign, Israel was invaded, defeated, and oppressed by Shishak, the king of Egypt. We're told that Shishak carried away all the storehouses of treasure that were amassed by Solomon. Everything that his father had built up, Everything that his father had stored up. All that wealth. Remember, we're told that during Solomon's time, silver was so common, it lost its value. All that is gone. The golden shields are gone. And Rehoboam has to replace them with brass. He literally, he literally impoverished Judah. Because of his paganism, because of his idolatry. And then he had to pay tribute to Egypt. Not only were they impoverished, Judah went into debt. God had said to Israel in the promises in Deuteronomy, If you serve me, if you make me first, you will loan to other nations and they will borrow from you. But if you forsake me, You will borrow from other nations. They will loan to you. And that's what we see right here with Rehoboam paying tribute to Shishak and under the impression of Egypt. Though Rehoboam began with so many advantages. He was not a kid. Solomon had been young and inexperienced. But Rehoboam was 41 years old. He had seen his father's rulership. Not only that, remember Proverbs. 3,000 Proverbs are written to Rehoboam from his father. And what does his father say in the first chapter? Get wisdom. It's the principal thing. He gave Rehoboam all the instruction he needed to be a good king. In chapter 3, that verse that you know so well, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your ways. And we see right at the beginning of his reign, he didn't listen. And yet he had the advantage of all those proverbs from his father. He had the council of elders from his father, those men who had wisely instructed Solomon, who had 
been Solomon's board, so to speak, who could be there to help him, to help him apply wisdom, to know the ins and outs of the kingdom. He ignored their counsel. Though he had an established kingdom, this wasn't a kingdom that needed to be built up or needed to be invested in. There were no more building projects left. All he needed to do was maintain because it was already established. There were no wars to fight. He didn't have the Philistine threat like his grandfather David did. He didn't have the threat of Assyria or Syria as his grandsons would have. There was peace and the kingdom of Israel had been so respected. Not only that, it was a wealthy kingdom. He didn't come in with a deficit. He didn't have a trillion dollar deficit. He didn't have any national debt. It was debt free. In fact, they had wealth. He had a beautiful kingdom that he inherited. The temple was beautiful, one of the wonders of the world. He had palaces that he had been given by his father, and Jerusalem and the walls had been fortified and built up during his father's reign. Not only that, he was chosen. He was the chosen one of his father of all his brothers. And there were quite a few. You can understand that with, you know, all those wives of his dad. There were quite a few sons to choose from. He was the chosen one. You know, there's something to being chosen that somebody saw something in me. And that's why I'm here. He was also instructed by his father. We talked about the Proverbs. But he also, you know, 41, again, he had been under the instruction of his father, the training of his father. So how could it be? How could it be that with all those advantages, Rehoboam's epitaph would be so tragic? The same can be said for his son Abijah. He had many advantages. Though the kingdom was divided, it was a smaller kingdom to rule. He saw his father's mistakes. He was chosen above his brother's. He was chosen when he was still young to be the leader over his brothers. He had been trained for the kingship early on. There was a temple in Jerusalem. There was a place of worship. It was established. And we know that the Levites and the priests and the godly people who had been living in Israel all migrated to Judah. So he had a great constituency. By Abijah's own admission, he had the advantage of God's favor. He was from the house of David. The priests of God were living and operating in Jerusalem according to the commands of God. And at one point, God was the head of Judah. They were looking to him. He was victorious in the battle against Israel. He was outnumbered at one point two to one. His troops were 400,000. Jeroboam's troops were 800,000. He was outwitted in the battle. He was surrounded. Uh, Those of Jeroboam's troops were better fighters, had the greater advantage. But we're told when Abijah and the people of Judah cried out to the Lord and the priests blew the trumpet, God gave the victory to Judah, to Abijah. And 500,000 of the choice warriors 
of Israel, Jeroboam's army, were put down. Yet Abijah, King Abijah's epitaph, was that he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And he reigned only three short years, and all his reign was marked by skirmishes with Israel. Even though they had this battle, even though 500 choice men were put down, the battles continued throughout that three years of his reign. So, why, in the end, were the reigns of Rehoboam and Abijah so unproductive? The answer is in 2 Chronicles 12.14 and 1 Kings 15.3. In 2 Chronicles 12.14, it tells us that Rehoboam did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Concerning Abijah, we're told in 1 Kings 15.3 that he followed in his father's footsteps and was unproductive because his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. You see, heart preparation, which causes loyalty to God, is essential for productive spiritual lives. If we do not prepare our heart to seek the Lord, if we do not make this the priority of our life, our lives will be unproductive. Our lives will end with epitaphs like, she done him good or she done him evil. We don't want that kind of epitaph. We, we don't want that to be the summation of our life. Without this heart preparation, we will receive wrong counsel. We will be unstable. There will be division. We will be under the influence of others rather than being the influence in others' lives. There will be oppression, wars, skirmishes, and no constancy to our lives. We need to guard our hearts against the mistakes of these kings who, though they had great advantages, who, though they experienced the grace of God, were given the promises of God, had great victories, were given great kingdoms, came from the stock of David, were given great wisdom, they failed in their service to God. So how? How can we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord? I'm going to give you three steps. Number one, it must begin with a determination. And you could say even dedication. A determination or a dedication that you will seek the Lord. Again, going back to 3, 5, and 6, Proverbs. In all your ways, acknowledge him. But you have to say, I am going to acknowledge God in all my ways. I don't know about you, but when I make a resolve, I have to put post-it notes all over my house now. Because I forget even my New Year's resolution. It's like, really? Did I say I was going to do that? You know, but now I don't have children. I'm empty nester. So there's nobody there to, to call me on all those things and remind me of, of what I said because Brian can't remember either. I don't know if he ever heard it, even though I said it to him. But it must be a resolve in the, 
in our hearts. It's got to begin there. I will seek the Lord and serve him only. That's the resolve that will carry us through the hard times. Because otherwise, we'll be taken with whatever comes unless there's that determination to plant ourselves in the Lord. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have to make that our determination. If we don't prepare our hearts to seek the Lord, we will receive wrong counsel and our lives will be unproductive. We will be unstable, have division, and be under the influence of other people rather than being the influence in others' lives. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443. Refer to it by name, which is Rehoboam and Abijah, a prepared heart. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll continue our study on the lives of Rehoboam and Abijah as we learn how to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord in our series with Cheryl Broderson through the lineage of the King. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.